welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. This is Chris Marler. I am Sarah Marler. Do you have a cocktail ready? I honestly, you know what? I'm not going to lie to you. I did drink before we came on the show. I had one beer. Why? Who told you? Allie, say something. Name names. I just assume that before we talk about the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, we need to have at least one beforehand, right? I feel like I overreacted to that that question. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Okay. That was my bad. That was my bad. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I always think we should have cocktails beforehand. <laughs> just, I mean, that's just me, though. 2005, number 16, Florida, number four, Georgia. Georgia, Florida, Florida, Georgia, whatever you want to call it. These two teams playing in okay. Jacksonville. Hold Eight. on, wait. We've already lost, let me count, at least three listeners just because of that. For me, playing both sides of the fence there? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Take a stand, Connor, you coward. It is the state in which you live against the state in which I live. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, That's even good. though neither are teams that we root for or anything like that, with the exception yeah, of those teams. With the exception of Florida basketball, a little bit, yeah, like there right around this time. That that's about as far as my my Florida bias really goes. Just sitting there wearing like a split starter jacket of Notre Dame and Florida, just <laughs> right down the middle. Actually, fun fact: I am wearing a shirt right now that literally has a gator on it that I got in the state that's of Florida. True. So, um, and it's orange. Not as uh, not as ugly <laughs> as that god awful orange uh, sleeve that the Gators had on their uniforms that day. But we'll get to that in a oh minute. Oh my god! Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. This game was a defensive focused top twenty five matchup of a pair of teams that, quite frankly, were it felt like at the time playing for a lot. And mm-hmm. these seasons didn't necessarily turn out as both of them hoped that they would. Georgia, of course, came into this game. 7-0. They were the clear favorite to win the East at this point and was hoping to, to get back to a national championship, obviously, and do something that hadn't been done in a, in a couple of decades. Yeah. But everybody knows going into this game against a, a Florida team that uh, might have been a little bit upset to have lost a couple of games to that point, playing without DJ Shockley, the Georgia quarterback who had a sprained MCL, and it sort of threw a wrench in Georgia's plans. So instead... We got the Joe Tarashinsky game. Okay. So I've said, I've told this story on here as one of my favorite lines from any broadcast in the history of SEC football. And to be fair, I actually misremembered this because I thought a Georgia fan said it. But I distinctly remember watching this game in Milledgeville, Georgia. Just, I mean, huge game. And everyone in Milledgeville, for the most part, no offense, guys, uh, just couldn't get into UGA. So they went to Georgia College. Um, so they were, it was a huge, just everyone there was a Georgia fan. Everyone there. It's like an hour away from Athens. And I'll never forget sitting there watching the game with a bunch of my buddies, and they have they, they go to the crowd beforehand, Joe Tarashinsky. And I knew Tarashinsky because one of my friends from high school, Jill Elliott, ended up marrying him. Oh. So I knew I knew about, and she actually had dated Zeb McKenzie, who was also on Georgia's roster before that. Anyway, I think he was like a coach at, uh, at UNC Charlotte later. Yeah, he Regardless. was a receiver's coach for like 10 years. Right. So they, they, he gets the start, and everyone's, like, freaking out because it's like, you know, they, they had lost 13 of 15 to Florida. And they go beforehand, <laughs> they go beforehand, the CBS broadcast, they, they start asking people to spell Tarashinsky. Mm-hmm. And some drunk Florida fan just looks directly in the camera and goes, L-O-S-E-R. And I've never <laughs> laughed that hard, I think, in my entire life, besides the first rush hour, not the second. That wasn't that great. I liked. Uh, I, I preferred the, the two people on the broadcast who had a different response to that. One was... J T T 
TJ something like that. It was really awkward, and that's exactly yeah. how, how she said it. And there was also T-Dog. T-Dog. Tereshinsky. Stumbled over uh, Tereshinsky, for sure. Can you imagine having to say that when you're drunk? Everyone everyone in Jacksonville, The first I remember Buck Blue was talking about this game. He said the first thing you notice is the smell of bourbon and liquor coming off the bus. <laughs> imagine trying to have to say Tereshinsky. That should be what Oof. every single cop mandates you say in a drunk driving test. Yeah. Ter- Tereshinsky. <laughs> Spell it backwards. Get in the car. Get in the car. This game featured a couple of top 20 defenses, and I'd say by the end of the day, they were flexing their muscles pretty mm-hmm. hard. Um, I, I thought the defenses were great. As, as bad as the offenses were, and we're going to discuss some of the issues that, that oh, came with the, the, lack of, the lack of points in this game, the defenses were phenomenal. They swarmed the football, great open field tackling. I, I mean, I, I thought it was just a great display of what Smash Mouth SEC football could look like. And while we have become so accustomed to a different type of game and what we determine as successful or pretty in 2020, yeah. At this time, I watched this game, and I'm like, dang, that's, that's a different kind of athlete flying all, all over the field. Everywhere. I've, I've, honestly, I forgot how loaded these, these two teams were, especially on defense. Yes. Georgia, I mean, there were five stars everywhere, and future NFL players everywhere. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Like, and, honestly, you know, when I was watching it, like the playback, so we, we could only find the hour and 15-minute version – it didn't seem like the offense was that bad, and then I noticed like when I <laughs> they would the, take uh, out chunks the, of like all the three and outs and stuff. <laughs> right, and then I looked like yeah, exactly. And then I look at the end, and I was like, oh, this this was. I was like, Tereshinsky played pretty well. Let me go check out these numbers. <laughs> I was like, all right, hold off on saying that on the pod. That was not great. No, Tereshinsky was had one of those games where like whenever he did something positive, it was such a surprise, <laughs> and you could tell yeah. from a broadcasting <laughs> standpoint, you could tell. That Vern and Todd Blacklich, who was on color the year before that Gary got over there, you could tell that they wanted that to happen so badly because of what a cool storyline it would have been. But, yes, Tereshinsky, over the course of this game, he and Chris Leak were engaged in a pillow fight for the ages. Yeah, that's the best way to put it, man. I honestly, you know, when... Tereshinsky, I'm assuming... I know his dad was a coach there, but I'm assuming... Looking at these numbers right now... I'm assuming he had he was a talented kid, and he he had some good throws in this game. First throw of, of the game could have been a difference maker, and, and somebody dropped it. That but throw like, was 25 miles an hour. That was the yeah, slowest. I mean, that was the slowest touch throw I've ever seen. Go back and watch like, that. Uh, who's the lefty? Um, Kellen, what's his name from Boise State? Oh, um, you're talking about. Uh, oh, why am I? Why am I, Dallas uh, Cowboys offensive coordinator? Yeah. Um, why am I blank? Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore. Yeah, yeah. I kept thinking Kellen Mon. Uh, yeah, Kellen Moore, who was just like basically the Jamie Moyer of college football, just this soft throwing lefty. That's kind of what it looked like out of his hand. But I mean, I'm assuming he was a decent enough quarterback that he, you know, to be on the team and to start in that game. And also, now that I say that, I remember <sighs> that Mark Richt also started Fatone Balta. But uh, they, they, he had he had not the best arm. He had not the greatest game. And like you were saying, when they were talking about, the announcers were talking about this, it was almost like, and this is not nothing about Joe Tereshinsky as a person or, or his athletic ability, because I'm sure he's a better athlete than me. But they responded to everything he did like a, a parent in a child's Little League game. Yeah. Like always strikes out and all of a sudden it's like, oh, 
Timmy got a hit. <laughs> and it's like a bunt like this somehow goes in the outfield. That's that's pretty much the whole game. That is spot on, spot on. Great coaching matchup as well. We get to see the first chapter of Rick versus Meyer. This is year one for Urban, and you know this is the first of six matchups that we get against them. Where this isn't exactly the ten-year war or anything like that, but you know I, I thought a great a great coaching rivalry with two programs who felt really good, and that hasn't always mm-hmm. been the case, obviously, in the history of this rivalry in the last thirty years, but. At a time when, you know, these teams are playing as top 20 teams for the first time since year one that Rick was at Georgia, this this is significant. This is a, a definitely a significant chapter for both of them, a win that Agreed. going in, uh, both of them obviously wanted badly, badly. The uniforms. Oh, In the hell. Okay. Who is in charge of making Florida's uniforms? It's, it's Nike. like they don't want a job. Nike. I got some clarity no. on this thanks to... The tw- thanks to the tweet that I threw out there making fun of the uniforms, which, I mean, they were doing that on the broadcast too, so I don't really feel yeah. that bad. But I basically said, why did Florida let this happen? And some of the responses I got were, well, obviously, like, it's not just Florida. It's, it's a Nike concept. I get that. People were saying that Virginia Tech and Miami did the same thing earlier in the year with the Nike right. Pro Combat Series. No, 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 no. Look at those uniforms. They have the same, and if you can't, if you don't know what I'm saying, Florida wore these these uniforms that were like all blue, and then on the shoulder pad, going all the way with this like coming to a point at the collarbone, they had this this like splash of orange, and it's just a it's just a bad uniform in every way, shape, or form. Awful. It it at the time it didn't look good. It didn't age well. Just not a good college football uniform. And so people were saying, oh, well, Virginia Tech and Miami, they both have the same thing on the left on the left shoulder pad with the orange like that. I'm like, no, no, no. It not doesn't like come in, it doesn't come in at the collarbone. That's the, the big difference. And it looks so weird. And I am not by nature a uniform guy. I'm not one of those people that obsesses over uniforms and helmets, like my guy Brad Crawford, who knows that stuff inside and right. out. But it's bad and it looks really bad. So it was real bad. I got some clarity on this because uh, Gators Uniform Tracker uh, tweeted at me uh, that this was part of Nike's Revolution campaign and jersey template. It was supposed to promote the new Nike Pro Tri Bolt based performance layer where they had like the different color, you know, uh, like Under Armour type, you know, material underneath, right. not out in Under Armour. Obviously, that's a competitor. Um, basically, the infancy of the Pro Combat series. Right. S- swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Well, but see, this this rivalry had done this before. Like there was a there was a Halloween game, and I forgot when they when it was. But they Georgia came out. You've seen pictures of Kirby Smart coming out with like where he's like in a like red jersey and black pants instead of the silver britches, which is weird because that's like their thing. Um, britches. They, they've done it a couple of times. That's what they're called. Um, they've done it a couple of times, and it's it has never gone over well. Like I, th- there's never been a time where they come out in those uniforms. They're like yes. Remember when, remember when the Major League Baseball did the the All Star futuristic uniforms and they didn't have sleeves? Yeah, that was the that's, worst. That's that's what like this looks like. Yeah, and there are Florida fans who are like, you know what? I don't care what we wear, we won that day. Therefore, those yeah. uniforms are amazing. Bring them back. Sure. All right, we have a lot to get to with this game, but before we do that, Marler, please tell us about our friends at Bet Online. Guys, I'm not going to say it again, okay? Actually, do. Go to Bet Online. Definitely say it again oh, yeah, because well, that's actually, the point. Yeah. Fine. You called my bluff. Go to Bet Online today, betonline.ag. Set up an account. We uh, are going to start playing SES Poker Nights. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can also, like I've said a thousand times, bet on 
multiple things. You can bet. You know what? The the, the uh, Belmont was this weekend. Yes, it was. I had a horse guy. I told you about him from Houston. He's my old regular. He's a horse breeder. The guy that gave me all my. T- you know what? This is what I'll say because they're going to run the Triple Crown. So here's here's my take for Bet Online today. Go start an account. If you start an account with Bet Online today, and then you message me and say, "Look, I started this account. Here's the money I put in it. I will personally send you." Some horse horse racing tips from my guy, uh, who actually I went like six and one in my on his picks when I was out in Vegas for my bachelor party. So sign up for Bet Online today. You don't have to just do horse racing. There's like I said, poker, betting on basketball, you can bet on Korean baseball, lots of fun stuff. Go do it, and we will see you there. After you said the words horse guy, I didn't think about anything else other than a centaur. He so he's he's not that. Okay, are you sure? Yeah. Common mistake. Common mistake. All right. Uh, but he is not. His name is O'King Hackley III. I could see a centaur being named that. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. Mark Rick gets off to this 7-0 start. The path to Atlanta could not be more clear. I mean, th- they lost this game, and then they lost the Auburn game, and they still won the East, and they still won the SEC. It was wide open for the taking that kind of year in the SEC. Uh, part of which being the fact that Tennessee, who is supposed to be the dominant preseason favorite to win the conference, as we have documented on this here podcast, did not turn out so well. Yeah, but it was still a really, really strong year for the league. I mean, you had you had going into November. I mean, this is right the week before November, but you, you you're talking about two teams in the West that I think were undefeated: LSU and Bama. Georgia was undefeated going into this game. Um, a lot of good teams that year. A lot of good teams, maybe not necessarily the elite teams. I mean, that seems rude, but okay. Eh, based on what we judge the SEC on yeah. for the time after, I think I think that's Joe Tereshinsky was not elite, so that is correct. <laughs> Whenever we do the um, why did Georgia fans grow so frustrated with Mark Rick thing, the guy started off 2-8 and eight against Florida, and that probably sucked. Started off. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, the guy got 15 <laughs> years. But... Because then he went on that three-game winning streak against Florida, of course. But to start off 2-8 and eight against your biggest rival like that, and obviously losing in a game like this where you're just like, you know, that feels like, that feels like an annual kick to the nuts. And Georgia is obviously familiar with, with being on the wrong end of that rivalry throughout the yeah. 90s, so that wasn't necessarily new. But at the same time, it's like, man... Year after year, it doesn't even matter the fact that they're having all this coaching turnover, and it still just continues. That would suck. Yeah, I mean, I think an annual kick to the nuts is probably the best way to describe this this series outside of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Um, I, I'm not trying to be rude to Georgia fans. I just this I remember this rivalry, you know, very well growing up, and it was always like this. And in I think to be fair, in this game, Georgia did not have their starting quarterback, um, which I think definitely mattered. I mean, obviously mattered. Because coming in, they were actually talking about how, like, they were talking about Florida as if, like, you know, if if they're going to have a shot at winning today, which sounds really weird because they had won 13 of 15 in this series. I mean, and a lot of those were blowouts. So it was very, like, it was very, uh, what's the best way to put it, rare for Georgia to come in favored in a game like this. Um, and expecting to win, especially with this much on the line, because it ha- really hadn't happened since probably 1980. Yeah. You have Mark Richt, who is just wants to be able to get that win against this new Florida coach, 
Urban Amen. Meyer. <laughs> we'll refer to him as just Urban today. We'll go by okay. the U name yeah. instead of the A name. Um, I hear, to think about this. I couldn't think of any immediate examples, and I didn't do a deep dive on this because I could have found the answer to this question. I'm kind of mad at myself that I didn't. How many teams can fire a head coach and then start number 10 in the country the following year? Like, I, that's any, rare. Any team that doesn't have Ron Zook coming back as the head coach. No, but think, think about that because I, I know we make jokes about Ron Zook because he's the bridge in between Spurrier and, and Urban. Yeah. I, I get that. But think about the fact that like they still have that much talent on board where usually if you have that much talent on board returning, it incentivizes an athletic director to be like, yeah, let's run it back one more time. We're not that far right. away from winning a national championship. To come back and to inherit that kind of a team, to start off number 10 in the country, that's got to be really, really rare. And I'm sure there's an example that I'm just spacing on right now. And I'm not talking about a coach leaving for somewhere else. I'm talking about firing your head coach. And then turning turning around and starting off number ten in the country, the top ten. Well, and they were up to number three or yeah. number five when they played when they played Bama a couple weeks before this. Um, I, there is there's definitely another example. There's another it's one. Be, yeah, it's probably a Ryan Day. I'm assuming. Oh, um, yeah. They didn't, but they didn't fire. Yeah, they didn't fire Urban. You know, it's. Yeah. I think it's just different when you're talking about a, a fired head coach and Urban was left to clean up Ron Zook's mess, so to speak. But. <laughs> At the same time, it's like, all right, dude's got 14 starters back. And, I, I mean, you, you inherit a, a very good situation, obviously, with Chris Leak returning as, you, as your starting quarterback. Five stars everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Um, I, I think that Urban, every time I see him in one of these games, we've done a couple of these now from early in his time at Florida, he just looks 32, in my opinion. 32 yeah, to 35, well, that age range. He, he doesn't really look that old, even now. Um, uh, I don't think he looks old. I mean, Saban has aged a lot, a lot faster than than Urban. Of course, he's about to be 69 years old. Nice. I think Urban aged a lot in the last 10 years. Last 10 years or so, it, it's really caught up to him a little bit. And it's not just the salt and pepper thing, but it's... You know, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and hate on a guy for aging or anything like that. But you did it yesterday with Mike Golick. Literally yesterday's podcast, you were like, "Mike Golick Jr., I look a lot younger than him." Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> I might do that a little bit too much now. Now I got to make it a priority to stop. I think there's still a little bit of pressure on Urban in this game, obviously, because you know this was the year after that six-year streak uh, against Georgia came to an end, and Georgia had won this game the year before. You know, right. you talk about the 13 to 15. They had already, this season, Urban had already lost to LSU and Bama. You know, to, to have that third loss to another, like, you know, rival considered. To uh, Georgia? That would have been, that would have been a tough look. That would have been a really tough look for Urban in year one. And, well, and, uh, I, it would have. Um, and as we know now from dealing with, uh, sorry for all the noise, I'm just getting my Forrest Davis football recruiting magazines out. Um, we, as we know now, those, those two fan bases really do just hate each other year round. Um, so I don't think they would have handled it well, per se. I will say that, like, a first-year coach going into a situation where, like, if DJ Shockley was playing that game, they have to expect to lose, right? I mean, LSU Florida is the number one draft pick in the country, or the number one overall draft pick um, at quarterback with Jamarcus Russell and a very good football team that was ranked in the top five. So, but yeah, that's also me assuming that, like, SEC fans would be rational about expectations, so you're probably right. Fair. Chris Leak, the A-listers. 
Um, I don't know. You, you want to say something about his eyes? God, he's beautiful eyes. They're, they're darn good. You, you got a lot of close-ups on them and the, it, from the CBS broadcast crew. They, they always make sure to get those close-ups of Chris Leak's yeah. eyes. They're needed. Yeah, oh, they absolutely needed. You don't want to be the quarterback who can't beat Georgia, and he had already done so as a, as a freshman, but, you know, there was this moment after he scrambled for that first touchdown in the game. And he goes nuts. I mean, he looks yeah. like he just scored the game-winning touchdown to win a national championship. And I'm not saying a guy shouldn't get excited, but you're like, whoa, this dude, this dude is very, very fired up for this one. Um, and was fantastic in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. And then after that, oh boy. He finished this game with 108 passing yards, 5.4 yards per attempt. Had the, the one touchdown there and with one passing touchdown, one rushing touchdown, but still went on to have a solid season in year one with Urban, yeah. earned second-team All-SEC honors. I just still in this game, you're like, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that Florida goes up 14-0 in this game and then they go 51 minutes to end without scoring a point? Yeah, I had to take a double double take on that when I, when I looked at the box score. I was like... <laughs> This is going to be a lot, a 50, lot to watch. 50 of his 108 passing yards came on the first two drives. Yeah, that, that did happen. Um, I thought, I mean, this Georgia defense was legit. There's, really I mean, good. There's really good. talent everywhere. Yeah. I mean, just everywhere. Uh, I'm like, okay, again, I'm looking at this Forrest Davis recruiting magazine, okay? And I've got out the 2003. This is like before they had like 24-7 rivals. Just deal with the shuffling, all right? Embrace it. Um, this is all the first team, all south uh, like all five stars, Chris Lee, quarterback, Craig Lumpkin, running back, Chad Jackson, receiver. Um, let's see here. I believe Jordan Lipsy started for them as well, that he's an offensive lineman. And you have Paul Oliver, Quentin Culberson on, on defense. And then you have uh, Demetrius Webb as well. Like they, they had, there was so much talent on, on this, on the field. Like so, it was such good defensive football. It was awful offensive football. But to be fair, they also had some pretty good play calls and they had some like they had some exciting things, things that would have made the game exciting if they were executed. And a couple of things that once. when they were executed were actually pretty exciting, yeah. I'll say. Uh, the guy that you were just talking about, Chad Jackson, the Florida receiver who this year tied Florida's single season record with 88 receptions, first team all SEC guy. Dude ran a 4-3-2-40 at combine from Hoover, Alabama. Hmm. Why did he go to Florida? I'm pretty sure Marcus Manson was from Tuscaloosa. I could be completely wrong about that. Hmm. But they, there was somebody, that, like, in the first drive, they brought up, they're like, he's from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I mean, I don't know what to say. Yeah. He's, he, was, he was awesome to watch, though. Yeah, very, very quick receiver for sure. He left school early, though, and then NFL career did not really work out. I always wonder about guys with that are in his spot. If he could do it over again, knowing how things would play out, would you – try and stay for another year and be a part of that team that won a national championship. Obviously hindsight right. 2020, but I always kind of feel for those guys who like kind of leave early and they just, it, it never quite works out for them and seeing like what they could have stayed and been, been a part of. That's not necessarily saying that he would have been like the driving source behind it, the driving force behind a national championship or anything, but right. Chad Jackson, nice Florida career. And I'm sure somebody that Urban Meyer was grateful to have still on that roster when he got there. Yeah, agreed. Quentin Moses, Georgia defensive tackle. Um, arguably the best player on that defense. 
number mm -hmm. eight defense in the country, might I add. First team all SEC guy, 20 and a half tackles for loss as a defensive stupid. tackle. Pretty good. 11 and a half sacks as well. Had a sack in this game. Um, third round pick in 2007, but uh, unfortunately gets cut by the Raiders um, before ever even playing for them as a third round pick, which is not great. Um, spent a few mm. years with the Dolphins, and actually, he died a few years ago in a oh, trying, God, yeah, Connor. trying to put out a house fire. Yeah, that's it's dark. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to go there, but Quentin Moses was a great player, great, great player in the middle of that Georgia defense. All right, well, okay, uh, a non-house fire related thing. Sorry, I have to bring that up. I'm not, I can't just like talk about the guy and be like, and he's doing well. Like, I, I'm sorry, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm, you know, saying, saying what, what, what's happened. So the only Georgia player I had was um, Joe T, and I didn't really want to include him as an A-list. I've got more. I've got more. Don't oh, you worry. got more? Go yeah, ahead. I got more. Go ahead. Let's do Tim Jennings, the Georgia cornerback who, yeah. great, great ball hawking type player, first team All-SEC guy, um, and could make, make some hits too. He had that hit on Chad Jackson where they do this quick throw on a third down late. Yeah. And I have no idea how Chad Jackson held on to the ball. It looked like it was going to be a fumble or like Tim Jennings could have just ripped it from him and taken it the other way. Um, but a really, really good player and was a good NFL player as well. I mean, he, I, I was a big fan of his when he was on the Bears for like five years, I think he was. Uh, mm -hmm. Made a couple of Pro Bowls with the Bears too. He and Peanut Tillman were very, very good side by side and made this Bears fan very happy for several years. So uh, Tim Jennings, just another one of those guys that you're like, oh yeah, just casually, you know, making plays on this Georgia team that had several, several NFL guys. And when you see him move in space, you quickly realize, yeah, that guy's that guy's really good. That whole defense hit hard. Very, the very whole hard. defense. Um, only other A-lister, and this guy's, I don't know if he's as much of an A-lister. He had decent NFL career, but I wanted to include him in this category. Leonard Pope. He was yeah. an A-lister, at least in the minds of Florida fans, because he torched him the year before. He had a couple touchdowns in this game a year earlier. Um, and listed, he, this could be wrong, but he's listed as 6'8", 264. Yeah. That's right. Why? I mean, that's 6'8"? Yeah, he's huge. Goodness gracious. He was, like, I remember when he got to school, I was like, this is going to be, like, like he he was what I thought, like, the new tight end was going to be. It was, like, this, like, basketball-looking, like, type guy. Antonio so, Gates. Yeah, like, just incredibly athletic. And, and he, I mean, he was, he was a really good, really good tight end. Wasn't really as effective in this game in 2005. Why was he not as effective? Well... The guy that you have mentioned already, uh, breakout performer, Joe T. Joe Tarasinski, the third, to be honest. Um, it sounds like every kid that gets in trouble for like cheating, like on a test at a private school, but somehow doesn't get expelled. That's that Joe Tarasinski, the third. <laughs> Is he as good as Stetson Bennett, the fourth? I, you never know. UGA. Um, they wanted him to be a breakout performer. I, I put him in this category because he fits the description of everything except actually winning the game. Um, but obviously starting in place of DJ Shockley. Dude was on punt block and apparently was a long snapper as well. Which, okay, that kind of added to this, this, what was a cool story going into this game where, you know, he's the first ever born and raised Athens quarterback to start at UGA. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool. Dad's on the sideline. They do his this shot of like, 
you know, him as a kid growing up, he had this mural in his house where it's like a kid looking at a poster of Georgia players playing football. And it's like, all right, we, we get it. Like, you know, born and raised, always want to play for Georgia. And, you know, they, they made about six or seven references to that. But uh, yeah, the Tereshinsky family, he was the fifth person in his family to go to, to Georgia. They're basically like the O'Doyles of Athens. <laughs> Tereshinsky rules. What a reference. That's so good. Somebody's going to not get that reference. They're going to be like, oh my God, what are they talking about? You know, Tereshinsky, I got a, I got a feeling your whole thing is going down. <laughs> but now I, mean that. but now I got to study. Yeah. Uh, the final line of this game, uh, not great. Not great. 8 of 21, 100 yards, 1 INT. But he did have the catch. That I, I think yes. we should be. I think that catch, even though they lost the game, it should be on Georgia's pregame montage because it was that's just a, bit much. a sloppy display of awful goodness. And that's kind of what this game was from an offensive standpoint. This catch that he made, this touchdown catch, Thomas Brown, he catches this pitch from Tereshinsky as he's falling down. Like he is slipping, going to the ground, and they even had to do a replay to figure out if right. he actually had stayed on his feet. Unlike, unlike Clint Sterner. Is that too soon? Sorry. That was oh, me. Wow. That was me. That was me. That was me. Because he, he had his feet tangled up with the lineman, whatever. Yeah. But Georgia in this spot, down 14-3 late in the third quarter. They hadn't had anything going all day. And they had to do something like this. Something crazy just yeah. to mix it up. Just to get in the end zone. And so he, after he makes this falling pitch to Thomas Brown, who swings to the other side. And he makes this lefty throw. And... Tereshinsky gets up, scrambles, and then goes and makes this catch where he catches it over the back of a Florida defender and makes this unbelievable catch and then, like, all in one motion dives into the end zone. What what a wild first career touchdown at Georgia. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, so I, I reached out to one of my buddies today, um, Nick Waldrop, who is from Athens, and uh, and – Said to him, I was like, because he was he was really good friends with Gordon Eddie Kelso. So we, um, we a bunch of us had like he, I played baseball with Nick in in Milledgeville, and he was from the same high school that Gordon Eli Kelso, the punter from UGA, uh, was from. I think Clark Central, I guess, in Athens. Um, and I asked, I told him, I was like, hey man, watch the 2005 game. Uh, your boy Gordon looks good. And, and the first thing he said was, hated the outcome of that game, but that Joe T touchdown was pretty cool. And I was like, what's he talking about? And that. Then, then I saw it. The touchdown, because it was the only one that Georgia scored all game on this day. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, definitely go rewatch that. Whether you're a Florida fan, Georgia fan, I, I don't care. That play was really, really cool. Um, yeah. I had uh, – so those were the only breakout performance on the Georgia side. On the Florida side, I had Deshaun Wynn in there, the Florida running back, who's – I get it. He's not a typical breakout candidate because he had games before this with multiple touchdowns, hundred rushing yards, but did have a career high with 109 rushing yards on this day. Shifty guy, not necessarily breakaway speed, could move in between the tackles pretty well. Um, important guy to have when he can't really throw the ball, which Georgia, yeah. Florida could not on this day. And I always forget that he was a two-year starter as Florida's tailback and started in the national championship in 2006. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they, you know, a lot of like a lot of places in the SEC, especially, will have these like, you know, they'll have multiple running backs, right? Like a two-back system. Like Georgia does it, Bama does it. Uh, I believe Florida still does. I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of them do. That way, you know, you can keep the backs fresh. It's like Urban Meyer in Florida. They always had like three guys, and for whatever reason, they all ran under like a four-four. 
I don't think Deshaun Wynn was Deshaun Wynn did, yeah. yeah. No. But I'm just saying in general. Yeah, dude was dude so. was pushing 230. Uh, seventh round pick by by the Packers, of course, as well. Right. Uh, Reggie Nelson. I, I think Reggie Nelson definitely fits the build of the uh, breakout performer. The Florida free safety who was starting in place of Kyle Jackson. And I, I know that we've talked about him before. We talked about him during the t- 2006 South Carolina-Florida game. He had this massive, massive hit on Muhammad Masakwa. I pronounce his name wrong all the time. Is it Masakwai? Masakwa? Masakwa. Masakwa. Okay. They they threw to Masakwa in the end zone on this little like you know it was it wasn't a fade it was like probably like 15 yards down the sideline and Reggie Nelson is coming over the top and it's a contested play where they already have, you know, there's already a Florida uh, cornerback on him, and he doesn't make the catch. And then Nelson delivers this hit on him that was just like, oh. And in 2005, remember, even on the broadcast, they didn't say a thing about whether or not it was targeting. In 2020, it's it's targeting in a flag in in a second, and he's tossed out of the rest of the game, without a doubt. Agreed, yeah. There was... Like Greg Blue is famous for that. Greg Blue had some thumping hits. Thumping hits. Awesome. He had one on Deshaun Wynn where they even said on the broadcast, it's like that's two fifteen meeting two thirty in two fifteen one. That kid, Greg Blue used to like like some people didn't think he was a great safety. I remember because he would like he he would always. Go, I remember Georgia fans that I was friends with saying like he always goes for the big hit. So he you know sometimes he like has like lapses in coverage or he like misses tackles whatever. He was so much fun to watch. Safeties at this time, just different. Just different. I yeah. always think that. Uh, but Reggie Nelson, really good in this game. First career interception. Also had a career-high seven tackles in this game. Of course, became an All-American a year later. Future first-round pick. 12 years in the NFL. Made a couple Pro Bowls. Very, very good former Florida player. Uh, a guy that we have talked about as well, and we talked about him a lot during that 2006 South Carolina-Florida game, Jarvis Moss, the Florida defensive yeah. lineman who does more than just block kicks. Um, he, in this game, had a TFL, but uh, really broke out the game before this. Game before this, he had three sacks against LSU, which I did not realize. Only a sophomore at this time. Future first-round pick. Didn't quite have the career that we thought he would. He was, he was the winner last time of the Trent Richardson. I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. Any other breakout performance that I missed? Tate Casey. Ooh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good so, one. So, fun fact, uh, when I was 15, you know that, that picture I post about uh, me looking like a terrible, terrible athlete um, from when I played baseball from time to time from the Perfect Game event? You post it like, every single year, and you say, I didn't it. get drafted again. I didn't. I, I've only done that one time. You've done that um, multiple times. Go look it up. Go go find the other time I've done it. I've posted the picture multiple times. Regardless, anyway... So that was at this uh, like a perfect game showcase in Houston. And I remember going out to Houston, and like basically the way the perfect game thing was would run is that they have like two to five hundred kids out there, and then you would play teams and games, whatever. And so they put me on this team with this big, tall, redheaded kid from Texas, and he he was like we were sophomores going to be juniors, right? Andy Dalton. And no, and oh. he he got on the mound and was throwing ninety two like effortlessly <sighs> at 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 sixteen years old. Um, he was like 6'6", 220, or 6'6", 230. And I remember talking to him in the dugout, and he they were he told me this gross story about how he was like getting on the bus after a game and grabbed this bottle, and he thought it was water because he was so tired, and it was dip spit. And he like 
started drinking it, and I was like, you play football? And he's like, yeah, I'm a tight end. And that was Tate Casey. Um, he is a super cool guy, super nice guy. Ended up being the number one overall prospect from that entire camp and that, that year, and then he decided to play football instead. He was awesome in this game, awesome. That first drive especially, Yeah. they, they used him, for actually the first two drives, they used him a lot. Um, it was, I thought he had a great game. And like he, he's not necessarily a breakout guy, but he, cause he, but he hadn't had any kind of, he hadn't had a lot of involvement in the offense that year. I'm surprised he wasn't targeted more in the second half. Felt like yeah. he could have been. The prominent extras. Normally this guy would have been an A-lister, but because he wasn't playing in this game, DJ Shockley, the Georgia quarterback who was in his first year starting, was off to this great start, 7-0, and and then has the knee injury against Arkansas. Still ended up being a first-team All-SEC quarterback in 2005. Ooh, here's a good Stump Marler question. Who did he share those first-team All-SEC All SEC honors? Quarterback. In 2005? 2005. Jamarcus Russell? Incorrect. Brody Royal? Still incorrect. If it's Brandon Cox, I'll kill myself. It's not. Okay, good. Um, 2005? Uh, I don't know. Jay Cutler. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah. He was first-team All-SEC? First-team All-SEC. Jamarcus yeah. Russell wasn't first-team All-SEC. And he was the... year later. Oh, to your okay, start. Okay. Yeah, you're getting your, your timeline, I think. Well, because I remember Russell was the quarterback in that really dramatic Bama LSU game in uh, 2005. I thought it was, I guess I thought it was 2006. Or I guess I thought he graduated that year, I mean. Yeah, because he, yeah, 2000s, he was, it was in the 2007 draft. And yeah. then it was the first year where LSU was replacing him with Matt Flynn, Ryan Perry-Lewin, the right. national championship. Um, but so DJ Shockley, was needed badly in this game. And I think it's a different game if he plays. I do. I mean, sorry, I, the Florida defense was really good. Agree. The Florida defense, awesome. But when you think about how close Georgia was to winning this game, and it's like, man, that's it. They, oh, if they had had quality quarterback play down the stretch, I think it's a different story. I still think it would have been tough for Georgia to score, but Shockley was, was playing really well this year. Um, yeah. I had talked to him. Oh, MVP of the SEC Championship as well, by the way, because yep. he came back and, and was healthy down the stretch. I talked to him back in 2017 for a story, like right when Georgia was getting off to that great start, and they were like 5-0, and and they were going to become 7-0, 7-0 because they had two very, very easy SEC games coming up. said that they were – I remember him telling me that they were really pissed off in 2005 that they were picked to finish third in the East. Mm -hmm. And week in, week out, they felt like they didn't – get the respect that they deserve. Now, they, of course, were going to always be ranked behind USC and Texas because they started off one and two. So yeah, everybody kind of paled in comparison. But, you know, they won at Tennessee against the underachieving Vols. They had smacked Boise State in the opener. Boise State was that coming was off 11 win season. Yeah, they Jared just... Jared Zabransky, that stupid tattoo. Killed him. Just dismantled yeah. him. And they were still, like, having a tough time being able to kind of work their way up, up the rankings. But... Um, Shockley was such a big part of that and a great kind of, you know, I don't, I don't want to say he's a one-year wonder. That's not a fair thing to say because he contributed in other years, but this was the his year to really shine for Georgia and one of the best years of the Rick era, and he was a key part of that. Like it, when we talk about the great Georgia quarterbacks mm -hmm. of the 21st century, he gets a little bit lost in the shuffle. Is that fair? Yeah, he gets, he gets lost in the shuffle. I think I remember when this was happening and there was like any kind of quarterback controversy because people were really excited about DJ Shockley because he was so much different than David Green. And, I mean, you want to talk about, like, a soft-throwing lefty that we, we joked on earlier about <laughs> Cullen Moore. 
Um, that's exactly what David Green was. And, and like, David Green, all he did was win games. Just all he did was win games and, and just drop absolute dimes. David Green came into the Hall of Fame two or three years ago when I worked there. And I, I was like, are you David Green? And he's like, yeah. And we started talking. I was like, I, I, he went to uh, South Gwinnett, which is, like, in the same region or whatever. Jason we Hayward. talking. No. I think he Jason was, Hayward's South Gwinnett, isn't he? Jason Hayward's from uh, McDonough. He went to <sighs> Eagles Landing, I think, or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, anyway, so I was I was talking to him for a minute, and they had like that thing like on the little mini field, like if you can like like throw into this basket from like thirty yards out, it just drops two in right off the bat, like just no warm up, whatever. I mean, David Green was great, but he also had different tools than DJ Shockley had. And DJ, I think fans were really excited to see what that offense could have been like with DJ yeah. Shockley because, you know, they still were coming up, you know, kind of short in, in, in from what they like, fans were hoping for and fans were expecting at that point. It's nice to get to see him all the time. I think he does a great job on SEC Network as well. He was so good in that the Vic 30 for 30 as well because he spent all those years as his backup mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Um, yeah, he's, he's a great personality. SEC Network... Uh, is, was was smart to go after go after somebody like him and bring him yeah. on their team. Brian McClendon, Georgia receiver, prominent extra in this game, even though almost was the leading receiver um, for this team this year. He in this game only had two catches for thirty three yards, and he had a ball just doink right off his face mask with two minutes left. That it was wobbly. It was really wobbly. Joe T wasn't throwing exactly the tightest spiral in the world. Sure. But uh should have should have caught this pass and probably would have made a difference on that that last ditch drive. Um but still also led Georgia in receiving touchdowns in his first year as a starter this year. And he was twelve yards away from Leonard Pope from having Georgia's receiving lead. Interim yep. coach as well for Mark Richt in the 2015 bowl game against Penn State, undefeated as a head coach. So good for Brian McClendon, somebody that we talked yep. about a lot, of course, when he took over as South Carolina's offensive coordinator. Um, got demoted, ironically enough, for Mike Bobo. So mm-hmm. didn't stick around at South Carolina, though. Do you know where Brian McClendon is right now? This is San Francisco? No, but you're in the right... Um, you're, he's you're, in the NFL, right? No, he's he's in college. You're in the right no you're in the right region of the country. Um, he's the passing game coordinator for my guy Joe Moorhead at Oregon. Oh, nice. Good yeah. for him. Yeah. Uh, it stepped down pretty late too. I, th- I think that came down in like February or something like that. Yeah. Um, Dan Mullen, Florida offensive coordinator, first year as an FBS coordinator. Five years earlier, he was a GA at Notre Dame. Um, really, really rapid rise in, in the coaching ranks. Yeah. Quick Dan Mullen story. Um, the tweet that I threw out a couple weeks ago um, where I put, out, I put out the list of SEC quarterbacks who had 100 career touchdowns. It's an eight-person list. Um, and I responded at the end of it by saying, you know, half of them had Mullen on the sidelines. So got a little bit of traction. Florida retweeted it. Mullen retweeted it. It's, it you know, it gets... When something like that happens over the course of the day, as you've experienced in this business many yeah. a time, it's like, oh, it's kind of cool to get you know mentions here and there, stuff like that. My favorite mention was a Kevin Butler response. Kevin oh, yeah. Butler, the All-American kicker at Georgia, who, to me, growing up as a Chicago Bears fan, my dad called him Kevin Butthead, and many people do, and many people still do to this day. Kevin Butler responded to that tweet and says, so what does that mean? 
I thought of a response for so long. Like, you don't understand. Like, for 24 okay. hours, I pondered the perfect, like, it means whatever you want it to mean, Kevin. Um, something like that. And then I, I, I elected not to. I didn't want to do anything like that just because. Yeah. I, and I, I don't know why Kevin Butler is, like, tweeting about. He does, like, he does radio for, for Georgia now. Um, yeah. And obviously, like, he's still, you know, pro-Georgia guy, of course. But it's like, all right, like. I'm just pointing out something about Dan Mullen being a really good offensive mind. The guy knows what he's doing if that's his track record. Yeah. Let's just chill, Kevin. That was my story. I, I told it last <laughs> week. I didn't tell it on the podcast last week. I told it off air. I told it off air last week. Okay. Yeah. All right. I liked it either way. Thank you. Steve Adazio, Florida's tight ends coach, spent a decade as an FBS head coach after his time at Florida. This guy, I bring him up because I think he's I think we have discovered the Jeff Fisher of college football. Hear me out. Guys being dudes. Hear hear me out on this. At Boston College, where Steve Adazio was recently a head coach, he went seven and six in five of seven seasons. One of those other seasons that he wasn't seven and six, he was six and six. He went four and four in ACC play in five of seven seasons. What was his final record at Boston College? 44 and 44. Yet Colorado State just hired him to be their new head coach. Who did he replace at Colorado State? Mike Bobo. This is when we talk about the coaching fraternity and why it just seems like these guys get recycled more times than not. Right. It's because of stuff like this. Just yeah, saying. that's fair. Yeah, just saying. <laughs> All right, last one I had for prominent extra, uh, Joe Cox, Georgia quarterback. I just can't get that picture out of my brain ever since you put that into my life, and I hate, <laughs> I hate you for that. I can't unsee it. Sorry. Yeah, you should be sorry. Anybody that um, I forget. So here's what I have, prominent extras. Gordon Ailey Kelso, Craig Lumpkin, former five-star. DJ Shockley, like you said. Brendan Sutherland uh, went to GAC. He was a fullback, but was, like, really good. Actually, they went to him, even though he's a true freshman, I think, at this time, on that fourth and one play. Um, Sean Bailey, five-star. Thomas Brown, uh, ridiculous, ridiculous human being. Charles Johnson, Greg Blue, Paul Oliver. Um, what is, uh, Daniel Ellerby. There's something here I can't – oh, yep. Brandon Katu. Florida, um, I had Chad Jackson as a prominent extra um, – they also had Andre Caldwell and Dallas Baker. They had a really good receiving core. And then really I put good. Jeremy Mincy as well. Um, they had a stat about Jeremy Mincy that where he led the team. He had led the team in tackles going into that game, and he was a defensive end. That's just mind-blowing to me. How does that happen? I have no idea. Goodness gracious. I don't That probably wouldn't happen in 2020, just throwing that no. out there, the way that teams actually throw the ball now. The story arc. Favorite line from the broadcast. There were some gems in this game. We had Vern on this game. Of course there were gems. In the opener, Vern's openers are always so good. He says, Georgia, if they win today, can clinch the division before the leaves finish falling and the clocks are turned back. Great scripted line. That was nice. Great scripted line. Todd Blackledge, also in the opener. He says, if Joe Tereshinsky is living the dream, Chris Leak is trying to end the nightmare today. Ugh. I don't know, man. That, I mean, that was pretty good. They, they, were, they were a pretty good duo, man. They were on fire. I, th- I thought Todd had some good – I think Todd's really good. I, I think he yeah. he provides great insight. He's been a, a welcome addition for ESPN as well. And he does normally the – it's like the second game – the second biggest game that ESPN has on, on Saturday nights. I think he's – is he with Sean McDonough now? I think he might be. I believe he's with him. But, yeah, that's who he was with originally on CBS. So it was, mm-hmm. it's, I think they're back together. Um, do you have any other quotes for – Fire away. Lines? So mine, 
where let me find my notes here. Uh, I had the Tereshinsky L-O-S-E-R, just all-time favorite. All-time. All-time favorite. Um, they open up, and they talk about these uniforms, and you could tell everyone hates them. <laughs> and Vern, he was like, can you say marketing opportunity? They're hoping to sell a lot of them. And then it gets quiet for a second. He goes, they, they, they look a little different. And that was it. <laughs> um, let's see. So, what? I don't even know what this means. What did I write down here? Oh, so they, they, they're talking about um, in the first half how Georgia needs to dial up the pressure. They're talking about like coming back to the second half. They're talking about how Georgia needs to dial up the pressure. They have no sacks. They have no pressures. They're, they're letting them dance and pirouette back there. It's from Blackledge. And, and Vern just goes, yeah, a couple of pirouettes in the first half, actually. <laughs> and it was, it was really good. Um, and then I think I had, oh, my, my favorite, Blackledge is talking about on the fourth and one play in the fourth quarter. He says, if I go anywhere, I go right behind Max Gene Gillis. He's 6'4", 340 pounds. And he pauses and he goes, and and that might have been back in August. We're almost <laughs> in November now. I guarantee you he's 360 to 370. That was awesome. Do guys gain that much weight during the year? I don't know. I mean, I gained that much weight in quarantine, so probably. All right, fair, fair. The coldest I, I don't know how you would gain weight during the season, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think, think that's hard. You, they probably put you at like... They probably put you at a lighter weight, maybe like in the in the media guy before. I don't know. Maybe who knows? Yeah. Depends what 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 side they want to they want to push you towards. If you're like yeah. the guy who's like really a buck sixty five, and you're somehow playing, they're like, oh, he's a buck eighty. Um, that's right. The guy's never a buck eighty. Coldest take from the broadcast. Um, this was from Todd Blackledge after the first play. He says Florida does not have a chance today if Chris Leak is not comfortable and confident. Uh, okay, he was comfortable and confident for the first nine minutes. Yeah, but then for the, you know, the fifty-one after that, I'd argue he wasn't really comfortable or Things confident. Great. And Florida still won this game. So cold take, not the most egregious, um, but yeah. My favorite was when the Tereshinsky touchdown, and it's so it's this very awkward play where he it's a designed like throw like quarterback or I'm sorry, like halfback pass, like where it's like they're throwing back to the quarterback. And he falls down and slips, and Vern goes, oh, he he meant to slip! He meant to slip! <laughs> and gets so excited thinking that was like part of the trick play. Like like the, the plays like we see like in like Little League where somebody's like gets on all fours, starts barking. Like he thought it was something like that. Yeah. And Blackledge like, he, he just sits there and starts laughing. He goes, I, I don't think he meant to slip, partner. I... I He's like, I, I think he did. I think he did. And he keeps going with it. And, and finally, Blackwood goes, I watched him run that play in practice on Thursday. He definitely didn't slip then. <laughs> and I was just dying. It was so good. Because, like, Vern, I don't, it was one of those things. I don't know if Vern actually meant it when he said it, but he was definitely going to run with it. Oh, that, that, was a, that was a great Vern moment. Like, yeah. just this naivety that, it's so charming. So charming every so time. Young. So young. The Jadavion Clowney reminder that normal people don't play this game. Um, there were a few, the, the hit earlier that, that Nelson had, I thought was a good example of that. Um, I thought Vernell's, Vernell Brown's punt return in the first quarter. Yeah. Oh my goodness. When he got like 10 yards after this return and middle of the field, he just stops on a dime and he fakes out two Georgia tacklers, ends up having a a 30 yard return, which set up that second touchdown, which proved to be the difference in this one but it was like oh oh you shouldn't be able to do that on grass like no. that that was oh 
I would have been left. It, in that was that was pretty incredible. And then the other one for me was uh, the um, what was it? It was where oh Greg Blue in the first drive of the game, first drive of the game, Greg Blue comes just I mean a heat seeking missile coming downhill to tackle. Uh, who was it? I guess it was Deshaun Wynn. Deshaun Wynn, yeah, that hit. And, and Deshaun Wynn's a big dude. He's going to score. He's he's going in the end zone, like, no matter what. And Greg Blue just absolutely just destroys him. And it was it was something. Yeah, that was the line that they had about, oh, that 215 meeting 230 and 215 one. Yeah, exactly. Gosh, that guy. Um, that, one, that one's pretty impressive for me. Uh, the other one, so just Thomas Brown in general. Thomas Brown was 5'8", and... Uh, I think 185 pounds, and he somehow benched like 420. One of those short arm guys that's just an absolute unit. He was just, he was so strong, so strong. Great so motivational speeches, too, when he was running backs coach at South Carolina. He's actually, he's, yeah. with, he's with the Rams now as, as a running backs coach there, but you listen to that guy speak, and you just, you, you get fired up in a second. I hope that guy was delivering pregame speeches for Georgia yeah. back in the day. He would have been really, really good at that. The Trent Richardson, I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. This guy, I don't think, got a mention um, on this. I, I don't know if he was if he was out or what, or maybe just the clip version didn't have him in there. But he's he's got to be like kind of the default that we bring up because he was involved in this. Derek Harvey, um, yeah, was only a backup at this point as a redshirt freshman, but. At the same time, he was a five-star kid, so everybody knew about him at the time, mm-hmm. and he really blew up in 2007. Developed a little bit slower than maybe Florida fans were hoping for. Ends up getting picked number eight overall in 2008, and had this long holdout and just never really figured it out in the NFL. Uh, only spent four years in the league, eight career sacks. Here's a Stump Marler question for you. Only one player during Urban Meyer's time at Florida went higher in the draft than Derek Harvey. Who was he, okay. and when was he drafted? In the Florida, I feel like you're wording it oddly just to trick me. No, that's okay. The, no, 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 during his time in Florida, so like, so you wouldn't say, you wouldn't say like 2012 was, was his, was like one of, one of Meyer, like during his time there. So what years, 2005 to 2000? 2010, you could include the 2011. 2011, because he was there for 2010 as well, so that would count. Um, and it's, he got drafted six, you said, overall? I did not say when he was drafted. Oh, well, I'm pretty sure it was six, right? I don't believe it was six. Was it Joe Hayden? You suck. You are the worst. He was drafted. Moving on. He was drafted seventh overall. You know what year? Yeah. I guess 2006? 2010. Oh, D- Joe Hayden? Joe yeah, Hayden. I thought you meant, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, you're the worst. Uh, who was your uh, Trent Richardson? I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. So I, I wrote down two. Like, I, I don't want to say Craig Lumpkin because I think he had kind of a disappointing career, but at the same time, um, I mean, he was a five-star can't-miss running back. Like, it just And he just never really did much at UGA. So I have Craig Lumpkin. And then also Chad Jackson. Mm. Like, I mean, I, he wasn't like a guy that seemed like a bust out of um, – what do you call it? Out of, col- or out of high school from when he was a five-star – like super recruit or whatever, but he definitely did seem like a bust once he got to the league because he was just gone very, very quickly. Yeah. Well, when when somebody doesn't make it to that second contract and they're picked in the first couple rounds, like they've had a lot of success as a skill player in the college ranks, you're like, oh, really? Oh, that doesn't that didn't really add up. Didn't think that would happen. Yeah. The uh, the thing that you didn't know slash remember until rewatching this, 
I always, for whatever reason, have told myself, Chris Leak took this big step in year one with Urban. Like, getting that offensive staff in there with Mullen and Adazio, for whatever reason, I always tell myself that he was so much better in 2005 than he was in 2004. Right. And I don't think he was really that much better uh, by, by season's end. Um, if you look at the numbers, too, 500 fewer passing yards, nine fewer touchdown passes. His yards per attempt went down to 7.1. He had 40 more rushing attempts and just two more rushing yards. He improved a lot in 2006. I'll definitely yeah. say that. But I hate to be that guy. How good of a quarterback was Chris Leak before Tim Tebow got there? Was he that good? I th- I, he just he was he just threw a really really good ball. A, like a, a great really, spiral. Really good Great ball. spiral. Great spiral, yeah. great eyes, um, no doubt. Without a doubt. I, so, that's, I mean, I, that's, I don't remember his stats or anything like that or how great of a, like a quarterback he was. Like, Florida fans would know way better than I would. Um, I just always felt like he was, he didn't have a great arm, but he just threw, he threw a great ball. And I think that, like, that's a weird transition to come from, like, they mentioned it here at the start of the broadcast that he was really struggling trying to transition to the first year in Urban Meyer's offense because, Urban Meyer ran a different op- like offense than totally what would necessarily be suited to his his talents um, or his tools. So I think that probably hurt a, a little bit as well. And he was such a huge recruit in this like time where, I mean, Florida just always had the top. Like, I mean, you had Doug John. I, I'm, I'm saying from a recruiting standpoint, not saying how great they were in college. But Doug, like Doug Johnson, Jesse Palmer, uh, Brock Berlin, even though he transferred out. And then you have Chris Leak. And these guys Gross were just, man. you know, yeah, Grossman. These guys were all all everything in high school, and and a lot of them did really well under uh, Spurrier. And just Chris Lee kind of did not as well. But I mean, he won him a national championship the year the year after that. This is true. I always just whenever I watch him, I think things look a little too easy for you, and I'm not sure that that it's like easy in the right way. His form is yeah. so good throwing, and because he throws that that spiral that looks so good coming out of his hands. I always find myself wondering, he doesn't really fit the ball into tight windows. You don't really see him try to do it that much. When he winds up and lets one go, it's usually for like a six or seven yard hitch and the guy's open. He doesn't necessarily have to split two defenders or anything like that. I don't know. I I just, the more that that I've seen of him, I've been been a little bit let down and maybe because we're so used to quality quarterback play in the SEC the last few years, it has has changed my perception. But I always find myself wanting to be more excited about Chris Leak and I just, uh, just not there. And maybe I just need to watch, obviously like I've seen other games that he's played of course, but I need to rewatch other games that he's been been really successful. not trying to make it just about Bama, but watch the 2006 Bama game because he, that was Mm -hmm. like a close game and he like willed him to victory in the fourth quarter. Fair, fair. Uh, or any of the, the games during the national championship run that he won. So there, there's that too. Well, I mean, that's what well, that's what I'm saying though. Like 2006 yeah. against South Carolina. Well, we we watched that game and and Tebow had the big touchdown yeah. in that game. And there are moments where you're just like, I don't know. I don't know if he really has that's it. Fair. When when he had that that scramble where he just didn't quite get the first down on 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 a third down play that was really key in that game. And then they had to go yeah. for it on fourth down with Tebow. Like these little moments where you're like. This is this is what's keeping him from being that elite quarterback. Yeah. Did you have a thing that you did not uh, remember until rewatching this? I forgot UGA was undefeated this year going into this game. I had to remind you about this multiple times, and I and I had only 
remembered that because of the, the story that I did with Shockley back in, in 2017. We yeah. talked a lot about this 2005 team and how frustrating it was to be on the sideline for that. Yeah, like they got out to this this incredible start this year, and we don't think of this as necessarily a year in which, you know, like 2012, where Georgia's just one play away from playing for a national championship or something like that. Right. But still a really, really quality year and a, a game in which they had a lot to lose. Yeah, I mean, they, they were, they like the 2004 and 2003 team, I just, and 2002, to be honest, I just thought were, especially 2004, all the expectations they had coming into the season, for whatever reason, I just had my, my head that, that they were better teams. Um, I guess I was wrong about that. But, yeah, that, that's what I forgot the most because, again, 13 of 15 in like from the in this series had gone to Florida. And then you have, what do you call it? You have uh, them coming in undefeated with everything on the line. And, uh, and, of course, their starting quarterbacks out. Yeah, yeah. When the losing team blew it, a couple instances that are probably worth bringing up with this. When there is a, there's a little bit less than two minutes left in the third quarter, and Florida is up 14 to 10. Georgia had just scored on that wild play with Thomas Brown and Joe T, and they force a three and out on the next series. Florida's going to have to punt the ball back. Georgia's right. got all the momentum in a game that's played at a neutral site. It is Georgia fans are rocking. Ended, by the way, with that big hit that Tim Jennings had on Chad Jackson. Georgia fans feeling good in this moment. Florida's going to punt from their own 39-yard line. And instead, Urban, the special teams wizard, calls for the fake punt. And he gets this fake punt run with Eric Wilbur where they pick up 20 yards. And I mean, he had like a convoy of Florida offensive line yeah. paving the way for him. But it didn't even necessarily matter that Georgia didn't score on this, or that Florida didn't score on this drive. It, it completely killed Georgia's mojo because I'm convinced if they get the ball back in that spot with how good they were finally starting to feel offensively, I think that they, that could have been a different game where maybe they wouldn't have had a go-ahead touchdown on the following drive, but maybe they make it a touch or they make it a field goal or, or whatever. But I thought Florida stole all the momentum at what was a yeah. really key juncture in the game. Without a doubt, yeah, that, that was that's what I had written down too. The other one I would say is, I mean, Georgia's driving late. Brandon Katu... He's from Collins Hill High School mm, in Lawrenceville. Rough day. He, I never really was a big fan of him. I, I've met him uh, multiple times. He's just not the nicest person. Um, he's got a, but, a nasty mean mug, too. They showed him on the sidelines yeah, a few times. He the looks George like a bulldog. Kicker. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, but, like, they uh, – like they, they, he was a really, really good kicker. I'm pretty sure he had a 58-yarder at some point in his career while he was at Georgia. So, he's one for three on the day. Obviously – like that would have made different would have made a difference if they had already made one of those at least if if not you know the other two that he missed. But on the last drive of the game, it's third and eleven. Mm-hmm. Mike Bobo's your offensive coordinator, right? No, Bobo's not. He's quarterbacks coach. Okay. Well, you would think that he was because <laughs> the play call they they designed and they called on third and eleven. It was third yeah. and eleven with the game on the line. With, again, you have Craig Lumpkin, five-star running back. Thomas Brown, four-star, had a great game so far, in my opinion. Because it's four-down um, territory at this point, right? Like It's, yeah. it's four-down territory. You don't need to necessarily get all 11 yards on this play or all right. 10 yards, whatever it was. But you need a play call that you, you're, you're going to get six, seven yards. Easy. Easy. And I, I understand that's not everything. 
But Georgia's play call on that third down and that fourth down were so bad. So bad. And they bad. also had Danny Ware. They had Danny Ware. Muhammad Masco on the outside. You have you have a two well, you have one really good tight end and you have the other guy that kept dropping all the passes. Um I just there was a lot of options on the field that day. And they ran a just QB direct run. It's like it looked like what they used to do with Tebow. To the near like, sideline. To the near sideline. They just with with, with Joe, Joe Tarashinsky on third and eleven. And guys, this is gonna shock you. But um, <laughs> did work. He did not get he did not convert that. And then they had the next down was fourth and twelve. Oh, they lost yardage okay. on that third down play. Yeah. Which is hard to do in that spot. Florida's like, yeah, what are you doing? On fourth down, it's fourth. I think it's. I think it was officially fourth and eleven, fourth and eleven, or fourth and twelve. Fourth and twelve. Whatever. Yeah. So obviously, George is throwing the ball. Why? Why in the world is Georgia calling a play-action pass on fourth and long with the game on the line? The second that Joe that Joe Tereshinsky turns around. He's got like four Florida players in his grill who yeah. surprisingly weren't fooled by the play-action pass in which he turned his entire body away from the field. And not like one of those quick play-action passes where, you know, you see like the guys in the NFL who are really good at that, that it barely looks like a play-action pass. No, like right. a full-on, I'm going to sell you on this handoff that yeah. we're, of course, going to give the ball to on fourth and whatever with the game on the line. Unbelievably horrible play call. Of course, Tereshinsky just gets absolutely drilled on this play, and play never had a chance. Those are the right. moments where I really feel bad for him and like he's put in a tough spot. And, you know, you could say what you want about whether or not he was going to actually being able, be able to will him to a game-winning drive. At least give him a prayer. That, he had no yeah, chance. I, I just – I think – I. I hate to say this because he's he's a great guy and he was a great coach that had a lot of success. They brought before the game Mark Richt. All right, Mark Richt had a forty-nine and ten record going into this. Uh, what do you call it? Going into this game while he was at UGA, forty-nine and ten. That's ridiculous. That, that's a like, forty-nine and ten, and he was also forty-one and six in his last like three seasons leading up to this. He was or, or, he was forty-one and six since his opening season. He was eighteen and two in true road games and five and five in neutral site games to this point. Yeah, and and he had some really big road wins too. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was yeah, he was a really good coach, but there was something about Florida, just something about Florida that is in his psyche, and I think in a lot of you know, it was in a lot of other Georgia fans and players' psyches for a long time. There's just when he got into this game, he made decisions that are, were just kind of mind blowing at times. Like starting for Tone Balta to this day, I, I, I what? Like how's that? Why was that a decision that you made? Yeah. Um, and you know, in in this game, like allowing some of those play calls and and I, like I listen, if you're going into your biggest rivalry game and you don't have your starting quarterback. Take it from me, someone that had to watch that happen last year and watch the backup throw two pick sixes. I totally get that. Like, you're already having an uphill battle. Make it easier on him, man. Like, like there, there's no way that running Joe Tereshinsky on third and eleven could have been. And there's no way that could have been like. You know what? This. I mean, it, it was like. It, I feel like that scene from Waterboy when he's like, okay. He doesn't fake. He pretends to fake. <laughs> he thinks about the fake. Like that's that's like what happens to him when he starts thinking about Florida. I think there are people that maybe they just heard 
some of the things that you said, and they had okay. some some not so great, some not so great realization of like, oh my gosh, is that just Mark Rick? Mark is Mark Rick just just Kirby in in that like the the getting in his head against that one team? Is that going to continue to play out? Because I I do think that's a real thing with yeah. with coaches, and I think that there's there's that one team in the back of your mind who for whatever reason doesn't matter who's on that sideline, it doesn't matter you know, what necessarily is at stake for you. There are just certain teams that when you see that uniform, you get in your own head and you do things that you wouldn't normally do. But I do think that one of the big differences between Kirby and Richt, Kirby would have never let that happen. Joe Tereshinsky has never taken the field with Kirby Smart as the head coach. And I don't care what you feel about how many, how many five-star kids that he brings in there but if you talk, if you're wondering why he is so paranoid about making sure that his quarterback room never runs out of talent and over recruiting mm-hmm. over this guy and over recruiting out of the, over this guy, it's because he wants to avoid situations like this where yeah. you look at Mark Richt in this spot where they're seven and zero, and you know what? If you have a, if you have a backup who's who's ready to roll and who is, I, I mean, I don't want to say you know you're not in this day and age you're not always going to have a proven backup. I think a, a place like Alabama is lucky to have a Mac Jones to turn to, and not it doesn't always work out like that. But if you at least have talent that you feel like you know what we can work with, and if it all goes to hell, if you have a situation like what Georgia had in 2017, where Jacob Eason goes down in the first quarter, of the first game of the season, you don't want to waste a potentially special year, and that is why yeah. you can always have talent in that quarterback room, and. Kirby is going to do whatever he can to make sure that they're they're never in that spot, and that's I think the maybe the one of the differences that we see in terms of him as a relentless recruiter, because he's always paranoid about that situation as well, and that's the last thing he wants to have come back on yeah. him because it does. And yes, you know players got to play all that stuff, but how much how much heat does Rick take for for having Georgia in that spot and for this season not turning out the way that many thought it could? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean. And it happened a bunch. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And and credit to Mark Richt again, and that he's had a lot of good seasons. Like yeah. Georgia was not good in the '90s. They were not a good football program in the '90s. And what he was able to turn it around so quickly and do so at such a high level, and then for whatever reason, they just their expectations got out of hand. Anyway, moving on. What would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped? Um, I don't know if anything really changes for for Georgia. I mean, everybody knows Texas and USC were playing for a national title. Even if Georgia is undefeated after this game, they still end up losing to Auburn. So you could theoretically go to an SEC championship, be a one-loss team, and get left out of the national championship because those two teams were going to play for it. Two weeks, yeah, I mean, they had two weeks to get right for that Auburn game. So I don't necessarily know that this game was going to make or break how they played against Auburn. You have enough time to be able to kind of shake out the cobwebs. Auburn, of course, in that game a couple right. weeks later, hit a game-winning field goal with six seconds left to win. Maybe Rick getting a winning streak against Florida earlier than a decade into his time at Georgia would have helped. Um, we had to wait a decade to, to see that. But, you know, Georgia still wins the SEC championship with this loss and with the Auburn loss. Yeah. So in terms of the grand scheme of things, uh, on the Georgia side, I'd say it's somewhat limited, kind of surprisingly so. It's, but at this point, I think, yeah, I think you're totally right. Like, I don't think that they would have done anything, um, not in a in a bad way. I'm just saying because of how good Texas and USC yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But I will say that I understand where the frustration comes from, from just coming up short, just barely, and it being against this team specifically. Because, you know, as you said, they lost, they lost later in the season as well. But losing to this team in the way they lost to them and the circumstances surrounding it hurt, I think, way more than, than just a normal team. And you look at 2002 where they come in undefeated again. They end up going, I think, 13-1 and that season. Maybe was it 12-1 or 13-1? Either way, they had like an incredible, incredible season, a really talented team. And they, by all means, should have beaten Florida, a, a team I don't think was ranked going into that game under Ron Zook, and had late in the fourth quarter a wide open, I think it was Terrence Edwards, just wide open, and drops his pass, and they end up losing. Like, it's it sucks to fall just short, but it sucks especially to lose to like people that you hate. Yeah. No, that's that's perfectly fair. And Florida, on the other hand, um, Urban with this loss, as I was saying before, he if the, if they had lost this game, he would have had losses to Alabama, LSU, South Carolina with Spurrier in year one, and Georgia. That's mm-hmm. not exactly winning Florida fans over in a year. And you would have had a whole lot of the well, Ron Zook could have done something like that. Yeah. Um, so again, Urban. And the way that it all played out at Florida, I think Florida fans would still take that. I think that, as we have mentioned before with the 2006 game against South Carolina, if he didn't win that, that I think definitely makes an impact on how he's perceived in Gainesville. But a game like this was a nice feather in his cap. It wasn't making or breaking necessarily their national championship chances, which were already ruined. They still were behind in the race in the East, and they ended up not being able to overcome all of that ground against Georgia. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they, I think Florida needed a nice midseason boost like this after, you know, a couple of deflating losses to the likes of LSU and yeah. Alabama, and that's exactly what they got. Yeah, I agree. The player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this, I find myself taking the more, I, I find myself feeling bad for the team that just suffers the crushing loss. At least that's what Unless it seems Notre like. <laughs> Goodness gracious, that's just, could not be further from the truth. DJ Shockley looking upset on the sideline just kind of bummed me out. Because you see it on his face where he just knows. And you know what he's thinking the entire time. I don't know if he said this after after the game or right. anything like that. But he knows it. Every Georgia fan knows it. Probably every player on that Georgia sideline knows it. Shoot, probably Joe T himself knows it. If DJ, yeah. if DJ Shockley is, is healthy, Georgia's chances of winning that game significantly better. And, and think about, again... That was the mindset for DJ Shockley as the backup behind Green for years at a yeah. time before this. It was like if you know if DJ Shockley would have won that game, DJ Shockley would have done this. Like, so yeah, it just it's it sucks, man. I, and I, I think that still that still definitely eats him up to this day. And thinking about what potentially might have been, maybe he's listening to this podcast and the what would have happened if the result was flipped. Maybe that eased his mind a little bit hearing me say that yeah. Georgia actually. Really Don't worry, it was, that you wouldn't have done anything anyway. <laughs> you know, like to make you feel better, like your team wasn't good enough to win the last championship anyway, so it's like doesn't really matter. So you guys had a ceiling over your heads. Um, I'm kidding, but yeah, like and also let's be clear. I should have said this off the top. I don't know what I'm thinking about, but Connor picked this game. Chris did not pick this game. Just so we're all on the same page. I did pick this game, and I, you yeah. know, I want to do a cocktail party, and I'm sure that we're gonna do another one in the future. But wanted to do one where it felt like both teams were were really, really good. Um, Florida's had better teams, obviously. Georgia's had better teams. But, you know, a year in which they're both, 
you know, in the hunt for, for the SEC, both top 20 teams, and had an entertaining, an entertaining, somewhat entertaining finish at least. Not a lot of scoring, but um, yeah, still a good game nonetheless. Don't hate. Yeah. My, um, my memory, like, I guess the lasting image from this game is it's, it is and always will be that drunk Florida fan saying L-O-S-E-R. Because <laughs> I, I just, I've said it so many times, it just cracks me up. All right, that's that was good. They thought they thought about that answer for maybe two seconds, and then L O S R. Very very impressive. Um, hopefully, I would love to see somebody in the actual like spelling bee do that too. That would be great. <laughs> spell gator. Spell you. <laughs> spell dog. L O S E R. Yeah. Um, hopefully, everybody enjoyed this. We're going to be starting in July, and we'll we'll announce this when we have some stuff finalized. But we had a, a meeting last night in which we discussed podcast plans we're going to be shifting away from the three podcast format eventually not just yet but i know we only had two this past week we're going to be incorporating some current 2020 topics into our content we're going to have a kind of an in case you missed it podcast coming up in which we kind of recap everything that's happened everything that we should be watching out for so we have so so much stuff that we're going to get to but hopefully everybody enjoyed this and for the record, Florida and Georgia were both one and two, and it just meant more games that we've done so far. Yeah. So nobody, I don't want people to sit there and be like, oh, you only do Georgia losses or something like that. No, no, no. All right, that's, that's not the way it works. All right, I'm going to clean my pants, so let's go. Please don't. Please don't. Um, Joe T., what do we need to remember? L-O, I've got to pee. Have a good weekend, guys. Talk to you soon.